I'm Andy. And I'm Lev. And you're listening to Snakes in the Garden. Welcome to the Snakes in the Garden podcast. It's a rainy evening in Tacoma, and I'm here at the Hotel Murano after delivering a full day of training in the presence uh, of the great Tony Blower of Blower Tactical Systems and Blower Training Systems. Welcome to the program. Uh, Lev is not here to join us, but I wanted to leverage uh, the opportunity to meet with Tony after implementing his new program known as Spear Care. Tony is the founder of probably one of the most revolutionary personal safety systems that's anchored in psychology, neuroscience, and kinesiology. Spear Care is a division of Tony's company that serves healthcare and services and the personnel working in it. Spear stands for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response, and Care stands for Comprehensive Aggression Response Education. Tony, welcome to the program. Thank you, Andy. How are you doing? That's great. Great to be here with you <laughs> and, and your team, uh, Chief Pearson. What a delightful day. What a delightful day to see behavioral health professionals, people with extensive educations in psychology, social work, counseling, connect the dots with the episodes of crisis that they have to manage in the environments in which they work, which in the case of this organization, which is a very large organization across the nation serving families and youth, serving people that uh, live on the autistic spectrum, serving people that come from deprived environments and underdeveloped homes and neighborhoods, episodes of crisis ranging from polysubstance abuse, living with mental illness and disabilities, and the kinds of crisis that no graduate education prepares a clinician for. For them to connect the dots between what you have to offer and not only what they do, but the background that prepares them for what they do, I thought was an incredible thing to see. Thank you. Thank you. It was interesting. You know, uh, your audience probably, other than your references to me, had no idea who I am. Right. For the most part. Right. Uh, and my background for over 30 years now has been training hard chargers, military, law enforcement, first responders that are, are in more dynamic roles. And uh, one of the things that I like to remind people is violence doesn't care. When it happens, it's fast. And it doesn't care that you're a therapist. It doesn't care that you're a tier one operator. Yeah, it, just, it just happens. So I think the, you know, a talk that I do now that I really enjoy a lot is this violence loves speed talk. And it's talking about the, the neurobiology of survival and how things get hijacked in our mind. In every training ses session, people fail to recognize, and that sounds judgmental, it's not meant to be. I think it's contextual, Tony. Well, yeah, you gotta be blunt. The more yeah. we blow smoke up people's butts, the less safe they are. Yeah. And um, the reality is whenever we're in a training environment, and this includes my training, it's theoretical, it's cognitive brain. It's, Andy, what would you do here? And you go, well, I would do this, I would do that. There's, there's no doubt, there's no hesitation because there's no true danger, there's no real risk. And even if we do scenario training, so if you do like some high level scenario, 
we make sure there's no live ammo on the set. We, we make sure that uh, we've got the right equipment, eye protection on. Guys, uh, we've got uh, blue guns here. We've got red guns. We've got, you know, whatever. It, you, you make every effort to make sure that, that there's no injury to the point of going, this is our op four. That's our, you know, opposing forces. Right. And these are the good guys. And guys, like, don't. For people who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm, I'm deliberately being a little bit vague, but also showing that even at the highest level, dangerous training is made safe. Right. And so it's not real. And exactly. <laughs> and, and so, although you know you can get injured skydiving, rappelling, right. uh, even working with simunitions or UTM, you go into it going, "This is a training exercise." I think when I say that. Sometimes people get protective mm -hmm. of their methodologies, mm -hmm. and so they're like, "Oh, Blowers thinks his." And I go, "Like, yeah. no, we're aware of this, so we talk openly about it. We say, even on our course, we're creating an unconscious bias. There's a risk to this." And then people are like, "What?" The more you you analyze this, you shift from unconscious bias to conscious bias. And it's an interesting um, intellectual game. It's more than a game, brother. It's conversion of thinking. When you today, I think one of the reasons that we've identified and witnessed each other and valued one another is, is because we say a lot of the same things differently from the different places we've come. And your effort to raise the awareness of thinking about thinking and engaging in meaningful thinking between episodes so that your value to deliver services under high-risk conditions in that episode can be enhanced is practiced long before then. You're not learning about these things when your limbic system is mm. hijacked. When you are in the startle flinch response, you're not learning anything right. there. The learning is occurring way before then, and I think this audience really seemed to appreciate what you refer to as the cycle of behavior and the duress path and all of those gems that confer this awareness and ability to enact through understanding, moving through fear quickly, getting out of that quickly. Your illustration about you got to move or you, you don't survive. This is what happens when you're stranded. This is what happens when you're lost in the wilderness. You got to, if you don't move, you don't survive in a gunfight. If you don't move, you don't survive. If you're in this moment and you don't move, you don't survive. You got to move. Well, where are you going to go? And then you provide a map. Yeah. <laughs> you provide a map on where to go. What a wonderful uh, heuristic or or way to learn how to move. How to move out of limbic system and into evolved brain is the language from the world it's, I, it's, I'm in. It was brilliant. Thank Tony. you. Thank you. The for me. In my 43 years of studying violence, fear, and aggression, I've been teaching self-defense 40 years. That's a long time just looking at one thing. Like, I didn't do judo for 10 years, and then right. ninjutsu for 10 years, and then jujitsu for 10 years. It's just always been self-defense. And the discovery of startle, flinch, convert, managing fear, intuition, instincts, that was really an organic discovery along the way because in the beginning 
I was trying to teach people wax on, wax off, you know, like making a right. condition response training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, karate kid uh, joke reference. It was like, okay, when he does this, you do that. And if you are open-minded, you need to understand that you just did a video about never saying you need to understand. So I just, Oh, you watched it. Yes, I did. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so Andy, all of your listeners need to do that. <laughs> um, the uh, you can uh, that's a fun one. Insert insert correction. Yeah, the, it's it. You know, I say things that are provocative on purpose because if violence loves speed, I don't have time to blow smoke up your ass. It's yeah. like let's let's just get. Well, to, the stakes are so high. The yeah. stakes can be so. Well, it's high. tricky, you know, because we used. You know, I, I think you referenced part of uh, Gordon Graham's. Uh, uh, risk frequency you know, analysis. Risk frequency yeah, analysis. and so he's a brilliant guy. I've been using that for years, but a lot of people go like the low frequency, no time, is the most dangerous. It is non-discretionary and discretionary right? difference because yeah. it's easy for our lazy brain, our administrators, our well, that hardly ever happens. Right. And I remember doing something with asymmetric warfare for ten years. I trained them maybe longer, 11 or 12, until they just disbanded this year. Mm. But I influenced their shooting program and a bunch of their outcomes-based, they called it out outcome-based scenario training. And they hired me because we were metacognition. We were not teaching people to memorize stuff. We were teaching people to think and solve problems. Yeah. And they loved it. And uh, we had amazing, amazing stuff. But I remember they got a new uh, commander in, and they wanted to bring me in for one of their capture avoidance counter kidnapping he was like that hardly ever happens and i was like well when it happens to you it's a hundred percent of you and you get your head cut off like 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 i've got a a good friend of mine that deployed for years before he trained with me and developed ptsd because his his when, when people were getting kidnapped or getting shot by that sniper i forget the sniper that was dropping people over overseas in, in, during the war that some of these guys were like you're out there patrolling going is this going to happen to me oh you're yeah. waiting waiting for a bullet in the back of the head or waiting to get grabbed as the last person in in yeah. some sort of you know convoy yeah you know without turning it into like like this military discussion it 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 was the idea that somebody in leadership went and looked at the the risk frequency part mm -hmm. and shut down the training but what they did was actually amplified the PTSD resiliency problem because they weren't addressing the fear. Even though it hardly ever happened, it would be like, okay, Andy, you're going to go deploy. Well, what happens if I get kidnapped? It's hardly, you know, that, that only happened four times last year. What are you worried about? Right. You know, we did 10,000 missions. That happened four times. That's point zero zero zero. Right. What happens if I get shot? That, that only happened to seven people of the million that... Like that's point zero zero. Doesn't change the fear. So the hard thing with any group, particularly healthcare, is you need to find leaders that understand that people aren't robots. They're not like this is my SOP. I will move to this position here. Oh, escalation. I will de-escalate. It's like we get scared, and everybody's different. And and. You said something, I want to come back to it, and I left it alone for about 15 minutes. The limbic cognition connection is a dance. What we've done with Spear 
is we recognize that when a stimulus is introduced too quickly, it could be the emotional intensity, so it's it's language as violence, or violence as language. Yeah. To the threat of physical violence, someone picks up an improvised weapon and they're holding it, and you're like, oh shit, like they're between me and the door, and your brain starts to go, or the actual violence. So there's implied, there's the verbal, there's the physical, and. While statistically, with all of the contacts and visits, it hardly ever happens, the presence is there enough that there's uh, there's attrition and malaise and depression and, oh. and, and and nobody knows how to talk about it because it's like... Well, uh, Tony, imagine, add trauma, add previous outcomes, add attachment disorders, add, add, add the filters through which someone encodes that stimulus and the response can be completely asymmetrical to what the presentation is. They're not only responding to what's in front of them, but everything that happened before then predisposing them to high sensitivity. Their amygdala to high sensitivity of what's being presented. And the, the the difference that you were, I think, able to really demonstrate to this audience today while it's not Tony's first foray into care and services, this is the first time that you're deploying a complete healthcare-specific package, and you're looking for feedback from these personnel to make it more appropriate to them. Because in in these disciplines, unlike law enforcement and armed services, and even EMS to a degree. There is no relationship that needs to be preserved for an extended period of time right. after this mess. That's a great point. And in the case of this particular organization, you got to come back. You got to come back the next day, the next shift, and be with the same person that wanted to brain you with a lamp right. and uh, engage in caring and helping services. So, well, I mean, just for me, what I loved seeing was their predisposition, their readiness for this message and your ability to adapt it to their environment. And the kinds of questions they were asking today were very interesting. Can you distinguish a little bit between anxiety fear, anxiety, and fear in relationship to the fear spike? And um, your ability to respond to that by saying, hey, this is what a fear spike looks like. Now you're going to move through that, through this algorithm that you've created to a duress state where there still may be some doubt, but you're going to work through that. And it's so, so subtle. It's so exciting to to share. What they didn't realize is I've worked with the most elite military counterterrorist groups in the world. I've trained all over the world, all the way, and I've done with with school teachers. I'm one of the only guys that's probably ever been in a women's shelter. Uh, The martial artists, uh, cops, SWAT, all of this, my energy changes how much i swear changes Mm -hmm. but the material doesn't because it's based on science like yeah and it's a joke i make all the time it's like like you know hey tell me about xyz and i'm like well it's based on physiology and kinesiology and physics and biomechanics and psychology so unless you're a unicorn right an alien this doesn't apply to you right like or does apply to you um, it's neat, and it was it was fun. My s- next course will be very different. Yep. Only only because you know personal travel stuff distractions aside, like you know just just traveling and getting to a new area. I was very conscious of 
our relationship. Yeah. I was very conscious of, like, I've been doing this now for decades, being careful not to go on autopilot. So I was talking slower than I normally talk so that I didn't accidentally use nomenclature or phrasing from, you know, right. a much more hardcore. Right, right. Where, and there were a couple of times where, like, words slipped out and I was like, yeah, maybe that wasn't appropriate, not meaning to trigger anyone. Like, I was, like, very yeah, sensitive you threw the, to that. Yeah, I saw you do that a couple of times, and I, I think they handled that with a, with a lot of grace. And and yeah. we're also dealing with people that that really see, they really see in the presentation of these emergencies very serious, very sad, and in some cases unnecessary kinds of crisis. Right. Terrible events within families that are just awful to have to witness. Uh, in some cases, having to, you know, involve public safety to to resolve an incident that, you know, if, in, if they had been there an hour earlier, it, it could have potentially been avoided. You know, a kid walking around a house with a machete and, you know, actually cutting someone. And uh, this organization, organizations that serve families in need, these organizations have to encounter things that very often you don't see in the news, and they go sure. on so prolifically in communities. Uh, Laura and I, and you know Laura, we did we did some work with this organization, this same organization that has a different division serving people living with houselessness and homelessness in the Seattle area. And you want to talk about some people that are naturally gifted at using their words to try to create a situation in which they influence someone because in many cases these shelters are the last stop and they they don't have a provision to kick somebody out or make their stay conditional so all they have is their ability to manage their own fear and then try to influence someone's capacity for evolved brain and self-regulation what you do just fits so perfectly and I think that as someone who's seen and been involved in so many other training packages in care and, uh, care and services, what you're doing, nobody else is doing it. Nobody in care and services, having this conversation you're having. It's, it's, uh, I appreciate that, and I'm excited to, uh, to bring this here. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's looking at everything in the world in the last couple of years, I think that the... The, I think the, the group today talked about the frequency on the uprise of incidents. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that a lot around the world with, with everything that's going on. With and public safety pulling back, too. In yeah. other words, the, the old practice of pick, calling 911 and being able to turf this to them, right. that's going away. And you have another training program known as Be Your Own Bodyguard. And while I'm sure there's overlap in terms of the content, the notion that's conferred with that program name is there is nobody else coming. Right. You have to do this, and you have something to offer to empower someone right. to, to do that. That's what, what we're seeing within the industry is that personnel have to be their own bodyguard. There, there is no more handing this off to somebody. Right. That's a good point. I think one of the things that I enjoyed with the group is they... Truly, I don't, you know, uh, I've shared this with you before, but this idea of if I, if I train a doctor or somebody in EMS or some other first responder, very few of them are excited with the notion that they need to learn how to defend themselves. <laughs> it's like, like, when did this become a thing? Yeah. Like, like, I've got a buddy of mine who 
he's retired now uh, from Orlando uh, Fire Department. He was, you know, he was one of the responders at the Pulse shooting. Oh, yeah. You know, but he's there and they're handing out body armor to firefighters. He's telling me the stories like, they're like going like, that wasn't part of the firefighting, like pre. Right, we don't we don't get like, that in firefighter right? one and two. Like, with hipster. Yeah. yeah, that you know. So, so it's an interesting thing, and and what I love about our program is because it's holistic, because it's morally, ethically, legally sound, because it's truly built on on the sciences of physiology and psychology. It integrates neuroscience. It integrates brain based learning. I mean, it's based on stuff that we were doing in the eighties where it was only in the last decade, 10 to 15 years, where some of the language from neuroscience explained what we had figured out in the 80s. It was very, right. it was very gratifying. <coughs> oh, know, yeah. Because, because I'd been mocked for many years by... Yeah, and you were ultimately vindicated arts. by papers, you know. <laughs> Research well, well, this is it. You know, there's, there's two laws, Fitz Law and Hicks Law. Hicks Law uh, paraphrased the that the fastest human response time you could have is there's one stimulus to one response. Well, the SPEAR, Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response, of course, is the, uh, I love to use the word weaponizing. I didn't mention it once today. Yeah, thank goodness. Right? Yeah. But, but it's the weaponizing and the startle flinch. From a selfish point of view, people shouldn't be offended by that, is, is I need to protect myself. I'm in grave danger. Danger just shifted from imminent to immediate, and I need to move. Uh, it's the only system in the world where I can scale the level of force, right? You can't like. Well, we illustrated that. That yeah. was perfect. In yeah. other words, when I held the chair up, right, you demonstrated to the staff. You wanted to hit me over the head, didn't you? You a couple of times. I, I, saw I that. felt the impulse, right? And, right. and uh, I'm going to give a shout to uh, our listeners in the room. Also, is Chief Jim Pearson, uh, who's been working with Tony for many, many, many years, lead instructor. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful, soft-spoken gentleman with tremendous experience. Jim was telling me to hit him with the chair. Right. Hit him with the chair. He was whispering it. <laughs> um, but uh, when I held the chair over my head, you languaged something in a way that I've heard others, myself included, language previously, but you did it with great succinctness and accuracy. Just because I have the chair over my head... I have to load it and lean right. back with it to throw. You have a moment here. Pay attention to the details. Yeah. Look at the posture I'm in. Look at what I can do preemptively if I see you start to load that chair, which speaks right to the immediacy and the imminency provisions in care and services right. of physical well, We're going to do a drill tomorrow that you haven't seen and, and, and they haven't seen called emotional climatization. Okay. I design all of my drills where I'm looking for efficiency and effectiveness out of the the human weapon system us yeah. as a survival organism. I don't map it to moral, ethical, legal first. I look at like, will this work in right. a high stress sudden? And then it's like, okay, okay, this is now what my body is prepared to do when it's surprised. Okay, now how do I change my timeline in understanding it? So conventional training will be, okay, someone has a gun. Here's a disarm. Here's a headlock. Here's a get of a headlock. Someone picks up a weapon. Here's a disarm. And if you do your proverbial metaphoric 10,000 reps of that, what we fail to recognize is that we need to do 10,001 reps 
of letting the attack happen to practice the counter. Yeah. So you're always doing one more rep of letting the violence come to you. Yeah. Nobody's talking about stopping the violence before. And so we, we created a drill and it's going back like to the eighties and it ties into this imminence immediate. Yeah. But it, at a visceral level, uh, it's, it's the coolest thing. It's one of the most favorite drills. You'll, you'll see it'll really, really open, open eyes. And it's a slow motion drill that makes you faster in the real world. And that's so counterintuitive, right? You're going to do this in slow motion and you're cataloging these auditory visual, not really physical, but auditory and visual pre-contact cues, connecting them to emotional physiological changes and awareness body, of them, right? And then by connecting that, recognizing that, you know, nobody can see this as his audio, but if I slam my fist down, you know, and when, what did you fucking say? And I lean forward that if you thought I was serious, even though you're not moving, your butt would get tight, your breathing would change. I'm a trained guy. Man. Your physiology would change. I'm sorry. I, I blew up your stream of consciousness. No, not at all. Um, I just... I just because this is your show, I'm not going to say what it's. Ah, okay. But, but what? This is the subtlety of the of the system, is that the dynamic can change here, and your brain. Like if we were in a bar and it turned into an argument, and I always tell people, you can't match the adrenaline dump of the person that's getting angry. That's true, right? So if I start to get angry, there's this duality conversation. You're going, Tony, look, what are you so upset about? And then there's another part of your brain going, man, he's really upset here. Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to fight? That's ridiculous. I don't want to fight this guy. Hey, man, let me buy you a drink. Like, you're having two conversations. Yeah. And then you're going, man, my heart is racing really fast right now. Holy shit. Oh, you know, I got to get out of here. Like, and now that's a third conversation. That's the conversation that needs to be had in training, especially in this type of group. Oh, my gosh. You know, And, and when you start talking about the activity of the amygdala, which is always going to be quicker into the brain than anything that's routed through the hippocampus because, quite frankly, that contemplates higher-level functions just in the physicality of the brain. The stimulus through the limbic system is always faster in several milliseconds. Twice. I think it's 0.3 yeah, to it's, 0.7. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievably quick by comparison. So well, here's uh, another thing. action me, is faster yeah. than reaction. Yeah. You say it all the time. And, and the, the individual who's dysregulated who's acting out in that moment they can erupt really quickly and they are always action yeah and 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 so we've got a, a really neat psychological reframe if action beats reaction and if you think about conventional protective maneuvers are always taught as reactions yeah when he does this you do that how do we flip it, the script it's a stimulus response so we have a whole model on that that's kind of cool yeah uh, that, that we'll go into but the most fun part for me is that it's our fear center that triggers the startle and the startle triggers the flinch so our brain startles our body flinches our brain doesn't flinch right it, right it's startle <laughs> it's startle flinch yeah so we would never do I know nobody can see this and have those hands come up fingers splayed outside 90 cover the head push away danger that would never happen if I didn't perceive a potential physical threat coming at me Precisely. So even if even if you just lean forward and I went whoa, whoa and the hands come, come up and it's so reliable it's in other words your what you do is convert the 
generally inculcated belief system about fear to something different. This is going to be the fuel now. This isn't the enemy. Your narrative today about fear bad is the myth. Mm -hmm. Fear is not bad. Fear is the fuel. If you can it's reframe... resource. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Yeah. If you can yeah. reframe what that means. And boy, I know for me, and I'm sure for many others, there are many, of formi many formative experiences where people... Upon learning that in a particular area of physicality, for me it was in rescue swimmer school, when I saw that I could hold through these CO2 dumps and stretch my breath holding when I was initially afraid I was going to run out of air. Right. Once I saw I could live through that, I was now energized when I was feeling the first buildup that I needed to let out right. because I knew I had more time. I had more time to free dive and save, save a life. I had more time to extricate this person who's entangled in a vehicle under 15 feet of water in a in a reservoir mm. i wasn't afraid of it anymore and your capacity to help people reframe the experience of fear what was the thing you said that one that one thing if you didn't fear fear what would you be doing right now and what yeah. was the other question if you didn't fear fear how would you feel right and if you didn't fear fear what would you do and just for our listeners he didn't say if you didn't feel fear he fear, said if fear. you didn't fear fear yeah 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 great great subject matter i yeah. mean we could go on for hours it's been a long day tony what a genuine pleasure to work with you and to do what i do and help uh connect the dots to this particular audience because uh, as you know what laura and i do is very central to developing self-regulation and verbal craft and then using that verbal craft to either help parents help kids and manage their kids so they don't need services anymore, up to and including people who want to jump off the parapet or engage in, you know, assaultive behavior. The opportunity to do what we do together with this particular audience was just particularly great. And I, I want to thank you for coming out and giving this particular organization that I won't name on this podcast uh, what you do. And I, I think that what you are embarking on now with your organization is so sorely needed in the healthcare setting because all of the training has been pedantic, word you use today, and perfunctory. When this is presented, this is the wrist release you do. This is the, the hair pull release that you do. Here's how you pivot your body. None of that for our listeners was what was covered today. What was covered today was managing the fight that happens Two seconds before the fight you train for. No, right. those aren't my words. Those are sure. your Bob words. Willis, actually. Yeah. The one thing I want to add to that uh, is... This is when you say, Andy, here's why I thought it was great working with you. No. Um, <laughs> I may get to that. I may get to that. I'm, I'm, I'm augmenting something that you, that you said. And that is for people to truly lean into the work that you and Laura have produced. Oh God. They need to be able to manage their fear. If if I go into a situation and I'm not aware of a fear for my survival and safety, mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to I'm going to underperform if I like you were underperforming in the underwater rescue until you understood the CO two connection and yeah. breath holes. Yeah. Then when you finally had that demystified mm -hmm. You went, okay, now I can lean into why yes. am I in the water? It's to rescue somebody. Yeah. So you send somebody to a home in crisis 
and they don't know how to monitor their own internal fear, their safety, their survival, to mitigate their own fear, that changes how much time and energy they're willing to invest in resolving a family in crisis. Oh, hands down. And that was, Laura was the one who saw that in you first before I did. She said, Andy, this guy has got this part of what we need down. This guy enables someone to lean into the person in crisis with a far more regulated state to engage all the complexity of thought that can be necessary to assist someone in self-regulating. Yeah, that needed to be said in this podcast for people that are, oh, that are hand, still listening. Yes, hands down. I wasn't going to say it was nice to work with you today. I was going to say this wouldn't have happened without you. Yeah. That I didn't know who the hell you were when you were stalking me on LinkedIn. I was like, who is you gotta, this guy? you got to say that. Not everybody's right? going to think I'm a stalker. You're right. And I like, and then I finally had that restraining order lifted. Um, the no, but you, you hit me up, and I get like I get a lot of people hitting me up who want to do things, and I'm well. I complimented you. You you wrote something that I said. You wrote something that inspired me to say, and I'm known for this. Thank you so much for saying what you just said the way you said it. The world desperately needs to hear that. And yeah. you, that you that seemed to resonate with you for some well, reason. It, it was nice, but I still there's still always a vetting. Yeah, because I you know a lot of people hit me up. I try to say yes to everybody, which is horrible. And uh, you're good that way though for and, a long time. And uh, I try to respond to everybody. You know, we started a conversation, then it was like, hey, we should get together and talk. Yeah. And my initial reaction was like, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. Right? And then it was bows and arrows right? of all things, right? Right. Th that we. We, that was instant. Yeah. It was a compliment that I gave him. You were using your system on me. Well, I, I, <laughs> I can't say at that time there was design. I think after you responded with, what is it that you do? I said, you know, I'd love to talk to you sometime about that. And you expressed willingness. Sometime in between that discussion and the meeting, there was stuff on social media with you in a bow and arrow set. And then I had revealed my background. Right. And... Like, screw the crisis intervention. Let's right. talk about let's right. talk about bows and arrows. That's how it all started, you know? So anyway, yeah. you know. But, but it was you recognized, you and Laura recognized something yep. in, in us. And we've done for years. Chief Pearson designed a program for EMS, paramedics, you know. And it's all, like, like, like I made the joke today, and I think I even alluded to it on, on the podcast. I don't care where you where you come from. You go, do you have something for astronauts? Do you have something for veterinarians? Do you have something for, you know, yeah. it doesn't... And you just say yes. <laughs> they they want to feel, people want to feel like this is unique to them. Yeah. But I go, listen, unless you're like an alien or a unicorn, this applies. It's physiology. It's yeah. kinesiology. Yeah, it's yeah. psychology. It's this truly the science of self-defense. Yeah. And um, anybody who wants to be safer sooner needs to explore what it is what their survival system is about this neurobiology of survival and um you know it's what we've done for decades i've you know as a marketer i've been in business incorporated since 1985 it's a long time to be in business as a marketer my my strategy and deployment is horrible 
because people say to me like, who's your avatar? What's your target audience? And I go, I want to make the world safer. <laughs> right? And they go, whoa, yeah. like you can't do that. That's not how you market. Yeah. Right? So we have different verticals in the, in the company. And, you know, we've got like a program for military and we've got a, you know, if I had had like 12 operators in the course, they, they wouldn't have come back after the first break. Right. They would have been like, like, what is this? Yeah. What are we um, doing here? Yeah. And vice versa. If I had accidentally, you know, come in wearing uh, BDUs, you know, some, you know, training weapons and, yeah. and started yeah, swearing. Or, or, or a slung, you, you know, know, red rifle or right, something. And, yeah. You know, during, <laughs> what, guys, what is this? Guys, let's start off is with this paramilitary training. You know, like, yeah. What is the, Yeah. So you got to know your audience, but at the end of the day, the star of the program is the system, not me. The star is the research. Identifying the thread that links victims and victors during violent encounters. And it was never, oh, look, all these people survived this encounter because of their flying psychic or their uppercut or their, you know, uh, uh, rear strangle. It was never a technique. It was managing their fear first and foremost. And people admire that, don't they? People admire post-factum episodes of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And the funny thing is, is what we do, what you do, is reveal that it really isn't extraordinary. It, it, it can be, it can present or appear that way. But what it is, is something that Marcus Aurelius was talking about long before any of us, you know, this ability to regulate your own needle and be so right. aware that yeah. you, the, you have control over your thought. And that's why my No Fear program, spelled K-N-O-W, mm -hmm. is my most favorite thing to teach. Some That's of the terrifying. other, some of the physical stuff is more fun. Right. But I recognize this in, in the decades of teaching and coaching and trying to understand violence and fear. I recognize that the people who manage their fear manage to fight. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's so profound because it doesn't mean they always won. But they were in the fight, and that changed their dignity and their self-esteem and their healing when they got through it because they were in the fight. And your use of allegory in your own vulnerability, sharing your own stories to people you don't know to help illustrate that process takes a lot of courage. And like, like the program says, like you say, courage is contagious. So that's certainly been my experience with Laura when we discuss emotional trigger states ranging from survival, shame, impotent, abandonment. Part of our instructor development component is to get people to disclose to some extent and through the demonstration of vulnerability. It's very often viewed as courageous. People want that. People gravitate to courage. And your demonstration of that in the training today was just a, a great example of that. Look, I'm going to become vulnerable. I'm going to share with you what happened when I was an athlete. This is what happened with my family. These are these things that occurred. Not everybody does that. Certainly, I can tell you in the other systems of training in behavioral health, I can tell you right now, nobody is doing that to any great degree. And uh, to the extent that you mentioned earlier that leaders are sorely needed to value this kind of training and provide it to employees was the whole basis of so many initiatives with the people that you and I are in that think tank with, with mm. other people, people who have, uh, for the last 35 years, have 
been trying to push this rock up a big hill and it's just a privilege to be pushing that rock with you so thank you thank you so much for your work today thank you chief pearson we'll press on tomorrow of course and uh thank you so much to our listeners for giving us your time uh this has been tony blower just google them there's no shortage of social media content and long-standing history of this human being and what he's done in the service of others for a very very long time this is Andy Prisco. Very sorry to report that Lev Pulio could not be with us tonight, but we wish them the best. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, impromptu episode. Back at it tomorrow with Tony Blower and Jim Pearson. All the very best to you. Thanks for your time.